previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I'm optimistic, but also trying to be real at the same time and kind of preparing for the worst. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But I miss sports. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. We're back on the feed for another new episode of the Sports Refuge podcast, the show where guests share their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland, here with episode 63. Matt Lang and I go back nearly 20 years from our time at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, where we were teammates on the Honda Campus All-Star Challenge team for three years, even finishing as the national runner-up among 64 historically black colleges and universities in 2004. But there's much more to Matt than his trivia knowledge. Not a lot of people know this, but he was also a high school athlete who played basketball. In addition to that, he was also a summer camp counselor for NBA star and league MVP Kevin Durant. In this episode, I talked to Lang about what it was like seeing a young KD in action, our shared experiences playing HCASC, and how it has led him to aspirations of being a published author, the Washington football team's name change dilemma, and much more. And now, here's my interview with Matt Lang. Matt Lang! We've had battles at the tables of the Honda Campus All-Star Challenge and so much more. Welcome to, I guess, as uh, they would say, the Terror Dome. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Last time I saw you physically was probably, what, 2018, like last February 2018. Was it a baseball game? Oh, no, it was actually for uh, my birthday. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, we went to uh, uh... Clyde's. (laughs) <laughs> you actually epic DC parties. Oh yeah, I tell you, man. Probably Clyde's probably the best place to get oysters at. And and well, oh, that was the, that was a fun night. Who it was? Me, you, um, Brian, Brian, Brian Banks, Brian and my friend Ann. Yeah, we had a good time. That was fun. Oh yeah. So you've lived in the DC area your whole life. Am I right? Pretty much. You know, I was born in Texas, but uh, raised in DC. Pretty much. Yeah, DC, Maryland area. To you, what is the best way to describe? living in D.C., especially, I guess, the the, the lifestyle, the culture? Um, I think D.C. is unique. I love it. There's no other place in the world where you have this much uh, African-Americans that are in power, African-American, you know, who are doing pretty well for themselves. I mean, you have so much culture there. You got the Smithsonian Museums. You got to see the power of this country. It's just such a unique place. And this. uh some place that I always love to be, you know. I can't see myself in any other place. Yeah, for some reason, I know, you look at places like New York City, L.A., Miami, just Chicago, and all those different places. I mean, to me, and I've visited, what, all but Miami, and I don't know, just something about being on the East Coast and, and liking D.C. compared to other places. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, L.A., the little bit I got to experience in L.A., not too bad. Traffic, of course, is always an mm-hmm. issue. But what in what big city won't there be issues with traffic? But it's something about D.C., just everything's so close. I know the metro in and out, mm-hmm. uh, the museums there, everything downtown. I mean, I like three-fourths of the teams that actually play in that city. But, <laughs> you know, not not too bad. Yeah, just something about D.C. I mean, maybe Baltimore would be a a decent second, but I guess that's sort of being in the downtown area of Baltimore. You know, if I could pick a place to retire to, it would be Baltimore. It's something about Baltimore I've always loved. I guess because it's older than D.C., has a little bit more, uh, a longer history. i love to give me a row house there and just, you know, I I, I would love to retire to Baltimore. 
Delaware would probably be a good place. I mean, again, not as r- ridiculous, probably tax-wise and expensive-wise, but mm-hmm. a lot of banks there. You're within an hour of Baltimore. You're within an hour of Philly. You're within a two-hour train ride or drive to New York City. You're within 90 minutes of D.C. Really, there's ocean wherever you want to go. It, it all depends, but I don't work for the Delaware Tourism Board, but uh, you guys <laughs> could uh, send some money a little bit over my way. You know, these tough economic times right now. Indeed, indeed. So I know that being a DC, this is one thing you've told me you had the opportunity to uh, interact with Kevin Durant a long, long, long time ago before he became KD. Yes, I was Kevin Durant's, and I think my brother was just for one year too, but for two years I was Kevin Durant's camp counselor at uh, Sea Pleasant Summer Camp. I think I was 16 or 17, and he was like 11 and 12. And, um, he was, of course, taller than me at that time. I'm not a tall man, but he was he was taller than me. And he was a good kid. I mean, he was all about basketball. But you know, he had a group of kids, uh, friends around him, all of them play AU basketball. They all thought they were going to make it to the NBA, but he was just focused on basketball. And I guess coming from that, that area, he was really focused on something to help he and his mother and his brother to get out of that uh, those tough economic conditions. So. Did you see his potential as a, an NBA star? Oh, yeah, because basketball was my thing back then. Again, I wasn't a tall person, but I, I loved playing basketball. And you knew who had it and who didn't. This kid was at 11 or 12. He was about 5 foot 8, maybe 5 foot 9. And he was just dominating everybody. Older kids, younger kids. I mean, he was doing everything. There was something about him that, uh, that you knew he was going to make it. And, and then when you see him get drafted by the Sonics and then have the success in Oklahoma City, when all that talk came out, him possibly maybe coming back to D.C., what were your thoughts on that? Were you hoping that it would happen? I, I was hoping he would come back here. And I understand why he didn't come to the Wizards. But I must admit, I was disappointed with his choice to go to the Warriors. I think that's not what they uh I don't think Michael Jordan would go into the Warriors, you know. You're the best player in the game. Why are you going to a team that knocked you out or the players the previous year? That disappointed me. But I know he's still um, involved in the PG County area. So, I mean, maybe he, he realized that he didn't have to physically be here to make a difference here, too. So, Yeah, and I think us being Wizards fans, it's like there is no straight rivalry with any other team, I mean, it all depends no. on who would have been. Would have been the Bulls at one point, especially after the the Wizards got their um, their payback for '97 when uh, Gilbert and all them uh, beat them in the huh. playoffs. And I don't know who the Wizards Bullets' true rival were. Maybe the Sonics, but that might be the maybe the Heat. You know, after that bad blood with Juwan Howard signing and then that uh, contract being voided, <laughs> so we had to. How much the money did Juwan Howard make off the Wizards? Oh, he made a lot. At least $125 million, at yeah. least. Uh, well, a chunk of it after that. After Jordan found a way to just ship him off somewhere else, that was mm-hmm. somebody else's problem. Uh, it's funny. Like I was saying, I, you know, you are a Cowboys fan. I'm a Redskins fan. A reluctant Cowboys fan. <laughs> I was a reluctant uh, Washington football fan for a few years. Eh, still... Why do you refer to them as that? The Washington football team? I'll, I'll go Redskins football team either way. It, that name, I mean, you look back, I, 
I was thinking about writing why am I a fan of this team, just looking back to the history of George Preston Marshall and all the other okay. stuff and, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters thing about I'll put a black player on the Redskins when the Harlem Globetrotters put a white player on the team. It's like, you know, again, other than, you know, once they got rid of all the things related to George Preston Marshall and mm-hmm. once uh, Old Man Cook passed away, it just seems like it's been a downward spiral ever since. And mm-hmm. the name, eh, I don't, I don't care. Nobody, you know, the thing is, nobody will care about the name if they're sort of winning. And I still want the Wizards to be the Bullets, but that that probably won't happen either. But I just, you know, I come from the, from the school of thought. Do no harm. You know, if 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 it's if twenty five percent of your fan base is upset about the name, well, why not change the name? Mm-hmm. You know. What's the big deal? Why are we celebrating this, uh, a, a racial slur? You know, and I, I just think, do no harm. So if that's going to harm somebody, don't tell me about the history. That's something that's in the minds of older people. You know, just because it, it was doesn't mean that it's right or that it has to be. And that's why I just think, if you're a true capitalist, why not change the name? You'll make more money if you change the name. Make a new uniform. I mean, you, you can sell more products. And but, sell throwbacks, know. too, like the Wizards were supposed to do with all their bullet stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that was always a weird one. Why call it the Wizards? You know, that's I didn't get that one. There were no other good names. I mean, there were <laughs> there were no other good names. See the baseball team, which Senators again still wouldn't have made any sense either. But it's the closest you can get to its history. I mean, not like mm-hmm. the Texas Rangers are using that name at all, and it doesn't make sense either because there is no representation in D.C. in the Senate. Hey. So. <laughs> I guess really there isn't many other names you could have really used who didn't sound so ridiculous. No, I like, um, I think one of the uh, indoor football teams or indoor soccer teams in D.C. called the Washington Union. I like that name, you know. The, I think the football team is the Washington Valor. You know, you, I think you could be kind of, you know, creative with it, you know. Yeah, but Ted Leonsis can actually think of stuff, and I don't think Daniel Snyder can. Really, other nationals even sounded bad from conception. It's just like, it works. They mm-hmm. found a way to make it work because the good name's already been taken. The Capitals. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's pretty much. What else can you do? And the mm-hmm. Generals had that connotation with, uh, you know, getting whooped by the the Globetrotters all the time. Um, <laughs> indeed, I, indeed, I can't think of anything else that would work name wise with any other Washington team. But it's funny. I look back at the uh, when the Ravens moved to Baltimore and they were sort of stuck. They can't use the Browns and they couldn't get the Colts name back. And the CFL team probably thought that had a better name. And then, hey, they went into their history and they found the perfect thing. They went with uh, Edgar Allan Poe link and it's perfect. What else could fit with the the Ravens or the Orioles? You know, things like that. The Baltimore Wire. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, that, that well, that's that's probably going to be the Omar. Omar. You know? <laughs> Washington Omar. I mean, the Baltimore Omars. Uh, actually, which is funny, they actually the Orioles named their uh, analytics system Omar. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, Omar was there. Omar. <laughs> Omar from the wire. <laughs> hey, at least they have uh, fun with it. I mean, the GM of well, the Orioles worked with the Astros, and they they called their analytic system ground control because you know being in Houston and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. Cheaters. <laughs> oh, and that makes me think about dishonorable ballers and a story we had back in the HCAS ranks, which we'll get to in a little bit. But- Warehouse sucks. 
Hampton, well, yeah, because that was in the, the tournament when Mr. Whitaker pulled a Roddy Piper, as the old saying with uh, Roddy Piper, he would say, just when you thought you know all the answers, I changed the questions. <laughs> Uh, um, among his many other, uh, you know, it's crazy when I see Roddy Piper watch an old wrestling clip where he said, you know, like LL Cool J says, you say you picked a fight with Roddy Piper without getting hassled? You know you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But um, have you seen They Live? John Carpenter's They Live? I don't think so. Yeah, but yeah, that was Roddy Piper's, I think it's acting debut. He's like, I'm, I'm, here, to, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick butt, and I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> Oh, man, it's uh, crazy all the different things Yeah, that we could talk about. Oh, your mom wanted me to ask you about your time on the Fairmont Heights basketball team. Oh, indeed. You know, I was a uh, disillusioned youth. I generously give myself five foot six, and I, <laughs> I like to play basketball. You know, no, first, uh, this is a lead into other things, I guess. Because, you know, I grew up during the Jordan years. So, you know, we had a basketball goal in our backyard. So everybody, you know, wanted to be like Michael Jordan. Get back there, me and my brother and my sister, we out there hooping. So you had this vision, you know, you being in the NBA or you playing basketball. And I think I've always had a good imagination and that I let my imagination go away with that one. So, you know, I, I always wanted to play basketball on the team. My first love, though, was football. And I never played organized football, but I, I was thinking about going to uh, try out for the, uh, my team when I was in junior high school. But the week before the tryouts, I had an appendectomy. So that kind of ruined my whole football career. I never thought about it again. But, you know, as all the kids growing up you know, in, in high school, you think about playing basketball. So I tried for the basketball team. Um, you know, playing street ball and playing organized basketball are two different things. You know, I, I thought it was pretty good at street ball. Organized basketball is just it's another beast. And I played my sophomore and junior years. And for JV and then for varsity. When I was at JV, my high-scoring game, I scored 32 points. I got 10 rebounds, and I got nine steals. And I remember the girl that was holding the stats, she was telling me, Matt, Matt, get another steal. You get a triple double. Get another steal. I wouldn't even think, I wouldn't even focus on that. I was just in the zone, if you could believe that. But um, it was an experience. It really kind of showed me, man, it's no matter how much, I guess, confident in your own skills, there's always somebody better. And in my case, there were tons of kids that were better and um, taller, too. So, <laughs> you know, it was a good experience to go through, but I wish I would have focused on other things in high school. Like, I could have been the only person on the golf team in my high school because the gym teacher wanted to start a golf team. I, I took golf lessons when I was in um, junior high. I could have been, you know, pretty good at golf, but I wouldn't play basketball. But, you know, no regrets, but if I had to do over again, I'd, I'd do it differently. Hey, so you pulled an ice cube and almost messed around and got a triple-double. Almost. <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. indeed. I don't know if my mother still has it. I mean, Washington Post from uh, 1999, during our playoff run, I scored, I think I had six points in a varsity game. We won our first playoff game. And then we went to the school out in the boondocks, and they kicked our butt in the play. I mean, they just, uh, it was terrible. And I said, I didn't like the kid. Our star player was a guy named Kevin Bess. Oh, he thought he was hot stuff. Thought he was the man. If you think of the prototypical jock, he looks down on everybody. Thought he was the man. Thought he was going to get a scholarship to college. 
Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. This dude was maybe five foot ten. He could shoot, but he had no left hand. No, no left hand at all. So his, this is our star player. So this team, they realized this guy, he can't go left. So they started double teaming and forcing them left. It was so disappointing. But I was happy because I didn't like it. He's a bully, and I think he just got out of prison. Well, he might be still in prison. I saw one of his prison pictures on Facebook. So I'm I'm very happy how that turned out. (laughs) I'll tell you this, man, if you had played down on the Eastern Shore, shoot, you would have had your shot because regardless of height, it's a guards league down on the Eastern Shore, man. I'll tell you because, really, aside from the the occasional 6'4", 6'5", guy, Mm -hmm. everybody's like 5'7", to 5'11". And you would have balled on the Eastern Shore. I'll tell you this. And mm-hmm. from my time covering sports, most of them mm-hmm. do maybe with extra shoes and socks on, they're about six foot. Uh, okay. And I'll tell you this, man, and as much as I watched, I saw a situation uh, where a team from, from the city to the boonies, uh, Joppa Town, went to Chris Field. Basically, mm-hmm. as I call Chris Field, you know, not that far from Princess Anne, I call mm-hmm. Chris Field, and no offense people living in Chris Field, I call it the ends of the earth because technically all it is <laughs> is water. After that, it's it's a, it leads up into the Chesapeake Bay. From Joppa Town to New York is the same distance from Joppa Town to Chris Field, Maryland. <laughs> yeah, same distance from Joppa Town to New York City. Uh-huh. The same distance traveling. Well, same mileage distance, while mm-hmm. about 100 some odd miles. And they came and they played Chris Field. Yeah, they beat them went to College Park and, and, and went to the state semis. Because all mm-hmm. they did in Chris Field, I don't say all they did in Chris Field, but Chris Field was a three-point shooting team. And, there you go. And that's what happens because they were really good. They were riding momentum and everything. And it's funny. I think that, especially being from the Eastern Shore, the Eastern Shore when it comes to basketball, now they don't light a candle compared to football up to Baltimore and D.C. But basketball? Mm-hmm. They can play. Mm-hmm. I mean, basketball, they can play. They, none of them may ever go to college. Uh, that's another reason, not because of their athletic ability. But, mm-hmm. man, I've seen a ton of state chants from the Eastern Shore. I know Stephen Decatur from Berlin. They they made it to state semis a few times in the past few years. Uh, mm-hmm. Snow Hill, my alma mater, beat Surrottsville uh, in the final. And that was a year Surrottsville got beat up by a whole bunch of other teams. And then when they got in the 1A, they were under 500 and just ran the table to the finals. And mm-hmm. Snow Hill was undefeated that year. So Snow Hill, I think, beat them by like 10, 15 points. And Whenever someone says Surrottsville, I just remember. The first woman uh, executed in the United States. Oh, yeah, for uh, for the killing of Lincoln and all that. Very Surratt's. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, I'll tell you. See, and it, this is weird how stuff like Wikipedia where it leads you down a rabbit hole and you'll be yeah. there for hours. Yeah. I was reading about something, then I started reading on about road signs in the state of Maryland and then reading okay. on Route 66 and then uh, the interesting history of Route 213, how it used to lead straight. I mean, how 213 actually connected from basically where 50 ends in Ocean City to yeah. up to Cecil County, which, again, Cecil County is like, 10, 20 minutes from me, but once they started building 50 and extended it over the bridge into Ocean City, they basically uh, rewound it and, and 50 went through Salisbury and all that other stuff. See, this is the stuff, like I said, you go on Wikipedia, you start out one thing at 4 o'clock in the morning and you're like, how did I get here? How did I spend my life doing this on, indeed, on, on Wikipedia? I mean, but there's so but, many different things. Well, to close out the basketball thing, though, mm-hmm. the summer league we played, I've been around a bunch of, maybe not a bunch, but a couple NBA players. Uh, we played against, and for summer league, some kids would show up, some kids wouldn't. So the game that we played, I was the tallest kid on the team. So I had to play center. 
Now, who did we end up playing? Six foot nine, Demar Johnson. Do you remember Demar Johnson? He played for the he Hawks, went, right? He played for the Hawks for a few years. Then he got hurt in a car accident. Mm. He was six foot six back then. Mm. So I'm having to check him. <laughs> he had to have seventy points. <laughs> he had to. Have... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if you remember Chris McCray from College Park. He played one year at College Park, but then he failed out of College Park. This is 2001, 2002. He went to Fairmont Heights. He went to my high school. Hmm, wow. um, and it's a documentary that's getting ready to come out about PG County. What's it called? Uh, the Land of Basketball or something like that. Because PG County is pretty much a hotbed of you know NBA star people coming in for basketball and also football, too. Because look at now, uh, the riskiest last two top draft picks. Chase Young and Haskins. PG County, you know? Yeah. So that's why I love this area. PG County is an interesting place. It's a very interesting place. I, I will say this. The only time that I can remember the Eastern Shore really hanging with oh, across the bridge in football was the year Snow Hill went to the state semis or mm-hmm. semis or the finals or whatever. Uh, it was a battle. It was Ben Tate on Snow Hill against uh, – Ah, Ben Tate, yeah. Oh, oh it's uh, a Dunbar. It was against Dunbar because I can't think of his name. Played for the Rams for a little bit, for a while, I think. Brandon Cook? Nah. Oh, shoot. Uh, it's going to bother me because I, I was it, looking it up when I was doing a bunch Cowboys of... Cowboys last year? Maybe. Yes. I can't think of his name. Yeah. No one knew how to use him in the NFL. Because um, yeah. he played in West Virginia, it. right? I think he played. Yeah, yeah. My West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, I forget his name, but no one knew how to use him. I know you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, it just and because that matchup, because I think Ben Tate, uh, he did some damage in that game, and it's funny. Like, there's a some talented guys. On it's weird when you separate the Eastern Shore. There, it's the southern part of the peninsula, and then you got everything up closer to the bridge, like Easton and Cambridge and Kent County, and everything, mm-hmm. which is probably a lot better than uh, everything in Salisbury and the uh, stuff near the ocean. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just crazy. That's the only time I think about. When it came to, you know, actually hanging in football, that really, uh, like Snow Hill or the Eastern Shore. And I'm not saying there isn't a few other people, because everything else is like Kent Island, Kent County, Cambridge, all those mm-hmm. teams. Those are probably the better ones. And I know somebody will probably be showing up here saying, oh, don't forget, you know, why? I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of other teams. Uh, now, covering Delaware, man, Delaware, that's a whole different animal. Uh, football in Delaware is different than football in Maryland, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was able to cover this one school, Delmar. They've won six state titles, and the equivalent, and I think if you put their class size, they'd be equivalent of maybe a 2A school, a low 2A school, about 600, 700, and they're considered one of the smallest schools in the state of Delaware, and they've won six, seven titles. But one of the things I also want to talk to you about, like I said, first place I met you at UMES was when we uh, did the Honda Campus All-Star Challenge. Oh, indeed. Yeah, long, long, long time ago, like uh, Andre 3000 would say in that uh, album. Long, long, long time ago. But, (laughs) yeah, man, those years of playing on the team, yeah, that was pretty, I'd say it was probably one of the uh, most unique things. I think, honestly, that's the only reason I stayed at UMES because of that. (laughs) Because mm-hmm. I had already had set the transfer to Salisbury uh, by the end of my freshman year because uh, I wasn't happy at UMES. And I think a lot of people who know me who went to UMES with me knew I wasn't very happy at UMES. But, you know, that's the only reason I stayed <laughs> because of that. Mm-hmm. So how did you get interested in that and the Honda Campus All-Star Challenge? Did you do it in high school? 
No, see, what happened is Dr. Thomas, he was the vice president at UMES at the time, came to my school, Fairmont Heights, and I had never heard of University of Maryland Eastern never heard of it. But he came in and he got some of the top students uh, in my grade. I mean, he invited us uh, to the scholars program. So um, my father and I had us a weekend at UMES, the scholars weekend. So uh, I went there with my father, and, uh, and that's where I met Steve Wagner. He met <laughs> him on that weekend. Dr. Thomas was also the coach of the uh, academic team, the Honda All-Star Challenge team. And he had a scholars play against his team. And I pretty much kicked everybody on the team, but on the scholars. Uh, even Eldon, uh, one of my nemesis is Eldon. He always thought he was as good as I was. No, no son. No. <laughs> so uh, I pretty much kicked their butts on the team. So went to the scholarship program weekend. They gave us a, a scholarship to the school, and Dr. Thomas wanted me to be on the team. So my freshman year was the last year they allowed grad students to be on the team. It was me, Eldon, this, uh, this other guy, and this little girl who is a writer now. I follow her on Twitter. Um, she, uh, we made it to the playoffs, but we were... And if anybody needs to know how the Honda Conference Autos Challenge is set up, you have 64 historically black colleges and universities. We go down to Florida and Orlando, one of the, the resorts down there, and we have a uh, tournament, just like the NCAA tournament. And you, you're grouped in little clusters or rooms or whatever, and you make it out of your cluster, you make it to the playoffs. Then you make it to the semifinals and then to the finals. And you're, it's pretty much like Jeopardy, but team-based Jeopardy. Would you more like it's that? academic? That's perfect. Yeah, like it's academic. So you have a captain. You have three other people in your team. You answer questions. Once you get a question right, you have a bonus kind of thing just for your team. So our problem in my first year was that um, I was clearly the best player on the team, but I was a freshman, and we had seniors who didn't want to let the freshman shine. You know. So when, you know, years from now, when they had to do a documentary about our time uh, on, on the team, Earl, the last dance, of it, as it were, they'll go through, sift through the, the jealousies with my rookie year and how they didn't want me to shine. Uh, but the next year you came on the team and uh, you can stop me if I'm wrong, because uh, we were trying to deal with current events. I mean, it was like uh, I was a Jordan and you were my pivot. I mean, <laughs> we, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree. Hey, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, I mean, like I said, it happened that way. I'll we, we, say, and I'll admit early on, we didn't mesh because yeah. I looked at him like, man, this dude is arrogant. I'm like, <laughs> oh, see, you know what was about that? That's not normal in me. Dr. Thomas did that. He says people have a tendency of thinking just because you're confident that you're arrogant. And so he told me he was working with me all through my freshman year. And my freshman year, it was bad. Because uh, my friend who came to college with me, uh, he ended up committing suicide that semester. And so Dr. Thomas was really trying to pull me together, talk to me. And he said, man, you need to get bold. And so I'm like, I mean, that's not really me. But okay. But when that next year, when it was a clean slate, all the seniors had gone. He said, man, this is your team. I had to do what I had to do. And was he on that team? Yeah, Pat that was on that team for a you, while, though. So. So some people just instantly dislike, I instantly dislike them. I don't mind people being confident. I don't mind people being bold. But when you're stupid and you're confident, that's a problem. And he thought he could hang with me without knowing the knowledge that I had. It incensed me. So I really tried to be a jackass toward him. That led to the coup of 2004, remember? 
<laughs> oh, oh my goodness. And the um yeah, and the thing is about and going to my story there, did you always watch Jeopardy and things like that? Because that yeah, we couldn't watch TV during the week other than educational stuff, but we could watch Jeopardy. So Jeopardy was good, but most of my things, I guess my knowledge came from reading. Uh, you know, my mother always made sure we had books to read. So I just, you know, just read, 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 read. I was pretty much, and this is weird, because I was really frustrated in school. Because, you know, I came in as a social science major. I wanted to be a, you know, I want to be a history teacher. But I couldn't get a click in. I couldn't get in classes that I liked, that were interesting to me. So I changed my major to hotel restaurant management because I like, always like to cook and I like to, I always like to eat. So, uh, so that left me with a lot of time to, I used to go to the library and I was like, and this is a definitely pie in the sky, but I told myself, I want to know a little bit about everything. I don't even want to know everything, but a little bit about everything. So I used to go to the library, pull a book off the shelf and just start reading it. That helped me three times in the tournament because I pulled a book off the shelf. Um, the name of the book, uh, Metaphysics, please. Uh, Oh, what's the name? And I used to quote it because I asked about uh, it. Oh, oh, what's it? Uh, oh, what's it? What's it? Marlo or is it? Or is it? Yeah, Marlo. It Marlo, Marlo. Yeah. He said, "Oh, he is a hot whore indeed." <laughs> but it's a book written in the 1600s. And I just pulled it off the shelf and I started reading it. Three questions about Christopher Marlo were in the tournament, and it it was just right there. So that kind of helped. Just just helped me you know, in school. I wasn't really interested in the classes, but I was. I found something else to be interested in. And um, I know that helped with with, with our team with the, with the tournament. Which is funny because mine is the opposite experience. I didn't do a lot of reading. Everything was from TV. The only thing I would read about is sports. I'd read about sports and other things. And like I said, encyclopedias. Everybody could tell you growing up had an encyclopedia, a bookshelf and encyclopedias right next to my bed. I would just go and dive in and read those. And then, of course, watching TV. And see, that's my thing. Game shows were my whole thing. Jeopardy I'd watch. And then... I tried to do an academic challenge thing in high school. It was me, Brian Banks, and because I had found out apparently the year before the teacher had did it and just picked some of the higher performing students and didn't reach out to anybody. And then they got smoked. And then all of a sudden the next year, different teacher trying to put it together, couldn't find two other people to put together a team of five. I was irritated by that and I was really pissed about that. That was one of the many things I disliked about high school. I, I said, I always put... You may yes at peace more than I would at high school, but less about the people there in high school than some of the other stuff. But mm -hmm. so then when I saw the flyer for it, I'm like, why not? I'm going to try out. And mm -hmm. that's how I got to it. And speaking of things that showed up, remember, we were doing all our different things that we would do to practice and prepare. Sat up one night before we were supposed to leave, sitting back, taped a whole bunch of game shows off Game Show Network. The one question we were watching was it went tuition with Mark Summers. And the question that came up was about the longest, the largest island in the contiguous 48. Long Island came up, and that was one of the mm -hmm. questions we got. It just because, I mean, and it happens, the weirdest thing. So even Eldon talked about how they were watching, what was it Pirates of Silicon Valley? And a question came up that they had got. And it's the, mm -hmm. it's the weirdest thing. You never know when a question will come up. And mm -hmm. also, my time working radio i got a question about anita baker because she had just got off of semi-retirement to come back and record a new album that's how i knew that because the weirdest things that you pick up will end mm -hmm. up showing up and it's funny people don't understand just like people who have watched the last dance saw those those heated practices that uh, michael jordan would have mm -hmm. the practices for for, for hcask were very 
uh, competitive and heated, to say the least. I mean, for the people that came after us, if they thought those fabrics were tough, it was more, yeah, nine out of ten times, you're going to bond with people or you're going to hate them even more. Because <laughs> that's mm -hmm. <laughs> the only way it was going to go. That's true. It, it, we had some heated times. I think uh, um, it, it kind of helped me, you know, because Dr. Thomas gave me the, I was the captain because I was like the only other person other, uh, on that team. And I didn't want to be captain. I just wanted to be the high scorer. I didn't care about being the captain. But I think he, he made me the captain and he made me, you had to grow in it. You had to you realize that it's, you got to hold the team together. Um, and I think I did a pretty good job, job of that once I got my way. And once I got a certain person off the team. <laughs> so <laughs> I was all in after that. But um, that whole experience, I think that's, it was, the best experience I had at that school is it was sometimes I dream about it. I still think about it. It was just awesome. And it gave me a lot of confidence to, to move forward with And And uh, it, it, you know, it ended, we were one game away from winning the whole thing. You little UMBS, you're one game away from it. And uh, it still haunts me to this day. Those two questions I miss. I don't care if I live to be 150 years old. Those two questions, just like I remember the word, uh, you know, me and my sister were uh, at the finals of the spelling bee in the school, and she beat me on because I couldn't spell monstrous. I was still, I will always remember monstrous. I will always remember Deborah and Honolulu. And looking at my stats for, from down there that year that we made it all the way to the finals, I was on fire. I was looking at the stats. I didn't, when I rang in, I had the answer. I didn't miss much. That finals, I missed a lot. And I think even though we won that first game and we lost the next two, it was heartbreaking, man. I, I remember coming off that stage crying. And uh, it was still the, one of the best experiences of my life. Man, that, that, and you it, know, talking about that, because I just think, because that was also that first game. That's the Yoda question. The Yoda yeah. question, because uh, again, I was sitting there reading that story about the, the bolted down Yoda that got stolen. And it's like, I didn't even think about, I mean, of course, the phrasing pattern was stolen. His image was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think about that. I'm like, I'm just thinking the stolen image. I don't think of, you know, the way uh -huh. Yoda would talk. But I'm like, that's the only other thing I remember. Actually, it probably was a combination of that. But yeah, it's like, it's the weird thing. Those years, it's either about retribution, even in some old scores and a whole bunch of other stuff. Because South Carolina State. We always think about South Carolina State, Hampton. That was always one of them. You know, and it's weird. I don't have the disdain for the Morehouse teams. Like, yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, you know, it's like. They were, talk about arrogant. They were arrogant, and we had them. We were the underdogs. Everybody was cheering. Nobody was rooting for Morehouse. Everybody was cheering for us. And I want people to realize this was a huge thing. We were in a huge auditorium. Everybody was packed in the hotel resort. Michael Eric Dyson was our um, opening speaker. Um, in Vogue was our closing was entertainment. It, yeah. This was a huge kind of production. Honda really gave a lot of money to this program so we, we could do it. And I remember, and, I, and sometimes I think that I was dreaming, but I remember this This was after we lost. One of those kids from another team came up to me and asked me for my autograph. I was like, what? It probably happened. I, I'll tell you this. It was two years later, people still saying stolen his image was. And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> and I was like, it was like, this is a big deal. If everybody hated Morehouse, because I admit they were good, but they were cocky, they were arrogant, and not to say I wasn't, but they had that whole persona of cockiness and arrogant. And I think, because I was the number two scorer for the whole tournament, I think the guy from Morehouse was the number one. 
And so everybody, I mean, every, it was, that stage was packed. Everybody was waiting to see us. And when we won that first game, you could just feel the electricity. Everybody was going for us. It was just amazing. But then we, we just, I mean, I think, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I choked. And we had two more chances to win and couldn't do it. it it's something that plagues me even to this day. You know, but, and I look back at it and like, you know, hey, it, you know, it happens. I, I feel like this. And I compare it to my Sports Jeopardy loss. Eh, that was a piece of it. You know what? I gave him a best. That's all I can say. You know what? If I felt like I laid an egg, then I would be less happy about it. And like, you can always look back. Like, I look back at two things. It's like, with the sports jeopardy, like, man, if I only bet 5,000 points, I win. Instead of trying to beat the person in front of me, I should have thought about the person who's in last. Because because <laughs> that's the old Jeopardy trick. You cover enough to beat the person who's right behind you and cover to beat the third place just in case something happens. And I was like, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to go ultimate win. Because if I got if I got it, it wouldn't have mattered. But and, and even then, at that point, I was like, right before we went in the final Jeopardy, I'm like, you know what? I'm at peace. And it's like, you know what, I'm at peace. I was telling one of the production assistants, you know what, whatever happens, I'm at peace. For me, that was my last year. Yeah. It was the last dance. I couldn't play anymore. So for us, and thinking about the year before, we, did we even make the playoffs? Yeah, because that was South Carolina, South Carolina State. State. So the year before that, we didn't we, make the playoffs. We beat, we, had, we beat somebody to get them in, and then that was, uh, oh. Came back and kicked their butt in that semifinal. Oh my god! Oh, oh what so, was it? Was it uh, Savannah? Savannah State. This dude, I don't remember his name. It was Fred something. He was bulletin board talking about being uh, the top scorer, and then the comments of using the slow bus thing, uh, uh, the the slow bus. I remember that. And then uh, we whooped him like, as my favorite announcer Jim Ross said, whooped him like a one-legged man in an ass kicking contest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that might be the most profane I'll get this whole time, but and we both outscored him that game. That was a game I think he was a negative. I think we might have both scored a hundred points or something because I, I don't, you know, some of the stuff gets foggy. But yeah, we both outscored him. He guaranteed he was going to make make the playoffs. He was going to be top scorer in his room and some other thing. He did not make the playoffs. You were the top scorer. Uh, I was second top scorer in that in that room, and when people, I know it feels like we're like old folks talking about battling in wars and everything. My only wish is that of that two thousand four one, I wish clear videotape of us playing because yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, we could always ask the Honda people. Maybe somebody knows if there's some videotape of it because the one that we had record for us was so blurry and far out that you couldn't see anything, but. Mm. That'd be nice if they did like little archives, like you know, they do the NFL films team yearbooks. That would be that would be nice. Just that whole experience there. I mean, mm-hmm. and we'll admit for a team of underdogs, we were probably the most antisocial group of underdogs. We ain't mess with them people at all. And when we you think about it, I've been. Yeah, handle business, and <laughs> as Meatwad would say, I'm in the butt kicking business, and business is booming. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the funnest time I've ever had. Oh yeah, man, I can't Ready? even think of anything i mean like the sports jeopardy was fun and that's a different level of fun because it's like when you're in that team format it's something different because you know it's not just you it's everybody else everybody had their strength everybody had their knowledge and sometimes you're like man how did they they pull that question out out of thin air because i was joke i wish i sat out my senior year and waited the next year with the group where it's mark and meredith and all them because then we would have ran that table, no doubt. I would have, I would have sat out and taken a, a red shirt year and come back for my <laughs> second, second senior year just to run because we would have ran that table because there would have been um, 
no no stopping us at all yeah now that format has changed completely it's, it's not even the same as 48 teams they're in la they don't even do the same uh college bowl format like they used to is something completely different and it's only four people three people on the alternate and they have it on honda's thing it's so different from what we played i'm not interested i mean you just have to see it yourself to see old man screaming from his porch i'm not interested Mm -mm. (laughs) yeah i mean it's funny it's i just watched them for curiosity's sake to see how different they were like the uh the GE College Bowl games they used to do in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where like Pat Sajak was hosting. It basically, you know, it's the format that Honda HCAS go on originally. And then once they changed and a different production company took over, it's completely different. Beautiful. Still, kids don't know any of their old school music. Because, man, I already knew my categories. Mine were sports, some history, old school music, because it came up when we had all those TV themes in that one bonus, and we nailed every single one of them. And I remember the year before, South Carolina, they sitting there, couldn't get a single Motown song right. It's like, they were unworthy to hold that mantle, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's funny. It's just, those were probably the best four years. I mean, what else could you do in college? I mean, I did mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other stuff. I was doing radio, and I did plays, and, and, and did all that stuff. Still don't know how I balanced all that stuff. Still don't know how I graduated, but <laughs> I did it. I did it. I mean, I guess once you get out of all the uh, non-essential stuff that are required. Mm-hmm. I always tell you, senior year, I, I needed one more science, and I had like environmental science and i skipped a ton of the classes uh one of the teachers and like yeah it was the honda team it's like we can't have you not pass and he just gave me a c i'm like thank you hey you know sometimes the um i guess fringe benefits of being on uh well that that, that's my story in my senior year because i transferred into um hotel restaurant management when i was a sophomore i didn't take any of the the beginner classes Mm -hmm. so my senior year my last semester I was taking 19 credits as a senior and I didn't go to none of them classes, none. So, but, but I had a good GPA because I was at the honors convocation. And remember at the honors convocation, they had us up there congratulating us. So my two teachers were together and they came to us afterwards and like, Mr. Lang, I haven't seen you in my class. So uh, Dr. Thomas said, oh, he'll be all right. So Dr. Thomas talked to him a little bit. They said, oh, come see us. Man, I went to some both of them. They gave me a test. I got a B and an A out of both of them class. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, yes, indeed. It takes some benefits. But, you know, my senior year, I worked so hard for that team. I did a lot. So it made me feel good that I got a little bit of reward. Yeah, and so, that was when we were actually bonding a lot closer. We were doing team Bible study classes, and yeah. and that's very interesting. I'm actually going through the Bible app. We're doing Judges right now, which is messed up stuff when I read through Judges. We're on 17 and 18. <laughs> I, love the, I love the Old Testament, man. There's some, there's some stuff in there that make that just make me giggle. And the t- really, the team bonded very well. We were doing the Bible study and things like that. Man, I felt so good, and everybody was coming to the Bible study. I'm like, I, I felt good doing that. That was some good thing. You're right. We were bonding over it. It was some good stuff. We had a good team together. Man. Yeah. And team. like I said, and, and even like the support system that, that year when, you know, after everything changed, like I said, Steve was coming to practice, which I'm all, I'm going to get Steve on the show. He already came up with the episode title. It's called Dr. Swag. So yeah, everything was working. We were coming together, you know, as broke college students, we were, <laughs> you know, going to the calf, whoever was on the meal plan. Yeah, we would do that. I mean, video game nights, um, uh, yeah, like I said, that was a great bonding experience, and 
you know, those are good memories. I still, I was looking, I found all, a lot of my photos from Orlando that are run uh, and everything. And, of course, the group photo, the team photo and everything. That was pretty yeah. cool. Simpler times, better times, best, I guess, best way to say. Food was really good. That's that's one of the things. And you can tell how different things were. You know, it was like a little slightly after 9-11. So I remember I had the green suitcase, this old rickety green suitcase. And we put all our sodas in everything. Yeah. <laughs> soda can. We were drinking out of soda cans for a while. And then, you know, with Mad, paired them with Mad Dog and then the things that you learn out of that. But, um, yeah, it, it's funny. Going into that whole theory, just the Honda thing, it's just being able to recall something so quickly. Just like some people say it's useless trivia, useless information. But to me, I mean, it's only as useless as you allow it to be. Like, for example, if somebody gets on Jeopardy, you make money off of it. It ain't that useless. The only problem is then what's the point after that? Because after you played on Jeopardy, you don't need it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I don't know if you ever had this issue, but I have this issue. I'm interested in so many different things, and that's why I think I'm good at this stuff. But I don't have many passions, you know, because I'm interested in so much. It's hard for me to pick something like, man, this is what I really want to do, you know, because, you know, I read a lot. I, you know, love going to museums. I, you know, I can tell you about every battle of the Civil War, but I don't want to be a Civil War historian. I can tell you about each president something he did in his administration from George Washington all the way to uh, 45. But I don't want that to be my life work. I mean, it's, it's so I think that kind of helped me, that kind of curiosity to know a little about a lot of things, but it's kind of hurt me in my kind of my professional life because I don't, even now in my age, I don't know what my passion is, you know, so. I know I hear you on that. I, at one point, I mean, between the many things I wanted to do, I wanted to work in a career in television as a, like, head of a network because when you see some of these people make their poor decisions on planning networks and scheduling and letting shows go through it's like tom cruise said in uh tropic thunder a nutless monkey could do your job (laughs) it's it's true some of these people i mean i don't know what really all they can do because some of these people don't seem like they were very creative and i was watching this youtube channel someone actually took intros of like pilots or shows that made it through a particular tv season and like, like I was watching one for like the year of 1984, maybe like four or five shows actually stuck. Mm-hmm. And then you had that are, that are big ones, and some of them even the last after a season. You maybe you had a, a rare few, but some of these dumb plots. And like, so you're telling me, 35 years ago, someone came up with a plot this stupid, and it got on TV when there was only three channels, not counting <laughs> PBS. <laughs> not even Fox. Fox wasn't even there yet. How mm-hmm. is it that this is the best that Hollywood had? Mm-hmm. So that means now in this million channel universe, somebody can easily write a script or something, put an idea out there. Yes, because most of the show ideas are no different than what you see on TV now. They're they're all ripoffs of something in some way. I mean, the best comparison is like pro wrestling because everybody has the same gimmick that's based off one of three main gimmicks, and it always finds a way to, to being a variation of the same gimmick ten times over. 
Somebody mm. will be the same. Either you got you got the crazy inner, you got the crazy wild man, you got the foreign guy, you got the blonde haired hero, the the muscular guy, then you got the dandy or the fop, whatever, and then you combine two of those and you get like Ric Flair. You get you get, you get the blonde guy and you get this sort of nature boy type of hey, this guy you hate so much you want to punch him, and, and it's weird because that's how TV I think is now. There is no true originality, and at this point I don't think there is anymore. What more can you do? Mm, that's true. One thing I wanted to talk to you about is you are a big fan of Tupac. Oh, indeed. How did Tupac's music impact you and affect you? And then really, when you first heard his music, what what was the first thing that sort of drew you to him? You know, this is funny. It wasn't his music. Uh, I used to go in, um, when I was at, uh, at my high school, I think this is the year after he was killed because, um, uh, you know, we didn't really listen to a lot of rap in our house, you know, uh, growing up. But I was always, I'm like, you hear about this guy, you know, a enigma. This guy is a, you know, warrior, rebel. You know, you hear about this stuff. So I used to go to my history teacher's class during lunch, and I would just go read all these old Vibe magazines, and you know, and I would read all this stuff, and I would, like, read all this thing about it. I'm like, this dude is deep. This dude was the man. So later on, he started buying his albums and, man, just fell in love with what he had to say. I like that he was a human being. And he's not, you know, people might say, oh, he's a, he contradicts himself. That's what human beings do. You know, you're not all one thing and you're not all the other. You know, you, he said what he was feeling at that moment. And at another moment, he was feeling a different way. And he, he, he wrote that down, too. And I, and I, I thought that was really quite human of it. It, it. Even now, it sticks with me today, man, some of his songs. and just He's the biggest musical influence in my, in my life, definitely. Yeah, and, and you were talking about, hey, yeah, everybody's complex. It's not easy to, to peg someone in a box. It's just, we're people. We are not going to be one way or another. If, if that were true, I mean, it's like when you see particular people who have a public persona and then have a completely different private persona. Mm-hmm, like I'll mm-hmm. throw someone out like Johnny Carson. Everybody loved him, you know, on stage in this. And then you hear he's a mean drunk that divorced his <laughs> wives and, and apparently had a fascination with women starting with the first letter J because all I think three or four of his wives were starting with letter J. I think it was like jo- Joanne, <laughs> Julie, something like that. It's a, a, no one of them was Joanne and Joan. So, mm. hey, he loves some J's, but uh, nobody's going to be this idyllic person. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, we're always trying to find the best of ourselves, but we have to make peace with the worst of us too. Everything's not going to be the best thing. We're going to have bad times. We're going to have, we have to be times that we look back and we're really disappointed in the way we were. And to have somebody put that to music, that that was amazing to me. To someone who said, you know, this, I'm an open book. This is why I am. On this day, I'm fighting for civil rights. On this day, I'm talking about slinging drugs. <laughs> I mean, and I think that's refreshing for me at that time. It, it, oh, it still is. Yeah, and it you know it's crazy. I didn't link the two and two, especially with him being uh, affiliated with Digital Underground for a very long mm-hmm. time until like okay, years after he passed, and I watched the movie Nothing But Trouble, where Digital Underground is all there, and they're and they're being held in that uh, in the courtroom, in the courtroom with Dan Aykroyd playing that little organ. But yeah, I didn't think about. It. I'm like, man, he was with Digital Underground, of course. And you see, I get around, and he's there with mm-hmm. Shock G and all them. You don't really think about it with the uh, the link to Digital Underground. Mm-hmm. This is something that I do ask a lot of the guests on the show, and it's a twofold question. First of all, 
if there was a movie about your life? Who would you have play you? And who is the celebrity you've been told you most resemble? <laughs> I don't think I look like any celebrity. Uh, my my great uncles used to uh, uh, used to make fun of me, call me Alfred E. Newman. That that was very hurtful. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was, isn't that something to say to a child? It wasn't that something. That was, come on now. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying not to laugh about it. <laughs> you know, you're trying to be deep about it, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, man, I feel bad about laughing about that. <laughs> Traumatizing. Who would you have play you in a role? And I have a celebrity lookalike that I think maybe agree with, but you know. Um, who I would play me? I mean, it has to be a um, maybe a Chadwick Boseman. Uh, he's very you know someone who's classically trained. You know? uh, what about John David Washington? I know you mentioned him before. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I, he has a good pedigree, so definitely that would that would definitely. Uh, Mm-hmm. be a good one to play play me he get all the nuances that was it that that is you know that is Matthew Lang and like know? I said honestly you close your eyes I still hear Denzel I mean you try not do I hear Denzel when I when I hear dog yeah because that that accent I mean I'm just waiting for him all of a sudden to start talking about fighting for freedom and everything <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I was going to say for the celebrity that you most resemble, I was going to say, you remember Daryl Chill Mitchell? I mean, before his accident? Daryl Chill. Yeah, he was at, I'm trying to think of some other movies he was in, but, but he. Oh, the guy in the, in the wheelchair? Yeah, before. before yeah, that. yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to compare you to some guy in a wheelchair, but he did. I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you, you know, I mean, I know, because from, you know, where you grew up, your, your father was working in, in the, the chicken plant, right? Yeah. Are they, what, what's happening with that, you know, down there? Are they, are they... Oh, man, my dad's been retired for years after he got a payout from uh, entering his shoulder working at a dog food company. So he, I know he's comfortable. He's all good. He got, he got uh, what, a six-figure pay, payout, I believe. Are but, they uh, still, but are, you know, are they, they shut those chicken plants down or uh, what? They were talking about it, but then they want to keep them open. The problem is that could be where the hotspots are. My mom works for the USDA, so she has to inspect mm. some of those plants, so... And mm-hmm. those are always uh, worries. They were talking about it, and which could lead to the meat shortage that everybody was sort of fearing. And you never know. I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. And those chicken houses, too. People who catch chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's quite a... And I was telling my daughter, I was like, you know, in my 30-some years, I've never seen this before. This is new. This is something new. Thank God I, I'm able to telework for work. But for the people who can't work, you know, it's, it's devastating. It's crazy. So, you know, I'm just hoping this stuff will hurry up and end and we can get back. Maybe have a little bit of summer left, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because that's really, I mean, and it's hard to think, even like, oh, right now I'm, I'm able to telework as well. My wife's able to telework. And you don't think of it as like, okay, it's a little bit of, you know, to me it's just being inconvenienced right now. That's mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. It's because we're, we're still working. Other people, their livelihood, they're wondering when their next paycheck's coming, where they're going right. to get paid. Some people, when their next meal's coming. And yep. and you think about it, like, we could be easily on that other side where people are str- struggling right now. Exactly. I mean, yep, yep. They're by the grace of God go out. Yeah. Know? So and I think we need to trust our scientists, you know, and help those who can't help themselves right yeah. now. It's so. funny. I always think about this Mr. Rogers quote. In any time of disaster, always look for the helpers. Look for the Ooh. helpers. 
And mm-hmm. I, it's funny, it's people think of Mr. Rogers says is really hokey. And it's like, the older you get, some of the stuff that Mr. Rogers said is legit. <laughs> it's some legit <laughs> stuff because uh, I haven't seen the Won't the You Marry a Neighbor or the documentary. Basically, it's, it's just crazy. And it's like, it's all about humility being kind to others that's the problem nowadays it's just people especially in this situation you'd think people would be nicer uh i just think people a lot of people are scared and they try to cover up that that fear with bravado but you know people are just scared and, and people we don't realize this is a change in the american way we can't go back to how it was you know mm-hmm. but it, something for good and for bad like for the good parts we shouldn't be working no more five days a week anyway you know mm-hmm. four days a week is good you know, we or we shouldn't all these meetings that, you know, yeah, well, I used to have personally with my job. We can do it on the phone or through a video. We don't need to have all this. You know, it made me think about a lot of, with my organization. A lot of the work is busy work. They just want you to, oh, we're paying you a salary, so we got to make sure that you're working. I have been more effective in my job since this has happened. I checked in with my clients, um, you know, making sure that they're fine. I've been more effective at my job because I have a limited time to do it. And I don't have to sit around the office for eight hours a day and just, you know, find something else to do. And I think for forward-thinking companies, they're going to figure out that, hell, you know what? We're going to have to pay these guys the way that we're paying them, but there's other ways we can cut costs. We don't have to have them in office for 40 hours a week. You know, they can telework from home. They can do, you know, it's something else. The way we do things is going to have to change. And um, that's I think that's going to be for the good. For the bad is, it's going to take us a while to get back to where we were. You know, that, that economic behemoth that America was, it's going to take a while for us to get back. If you're a big nationalist person, it's a good thing everybody took a hit. So <laughs> all the countries are like this. But it's going to take us for a while to get back get back in the, in the saddle. It's a different time now. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. And it's interesting enough, I was just talking, you know, everybody, you've seen the stock market go up and down and people freaking out about their 401ks and like I said, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people saw theirs take a hit and it's slowly coming yep. back. Yep. Maybe that's another thing you might see people starting to save a little more and start having emergency funds. I mean, you know, but then again, you see people who have tons of money who probably frivolously spend it and don't save any. Yeah, you know, and I think, I think, you know, I heard in PG County in three years, I don't know why they started in three years, but it's to be a mandatory financial literacy class for high schoolers. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe this will open up a lot of eyes that, you know, you need, we need to start saving. We don't need that extra TV. But with that, you open up another can of worms, though. Why is it that people cannot save? You know, is it because, you know, you know, Paychecks haven't gone up. The amount of money you've not made haven't gone up in, what, 15, 20 years. It's kind of stayed stagnant. It's a lot of things involved. And I don't like blaming. I used to go back, uh, you know, when Facebook gives you these, some of the posts you did years ago. And I'm like, some of these people are like, Matt, godly. In your 20s, you were like judgmental. A lot. You weren't that bad, but you were like talking about people on welfare and this and that. And then now I'm older. I kind of know how the world works. I kind of know what disadvantages some that a lot of my clients are facing. I'm like, man, no one really wants to live like this. You know, it's not that they're trying to get over. It's like, it's a reason for everything. It's a reason why at first of the month, when they get their money, the next day they're broke. 
we, I worked we're working on budgets with my clients. Worked on all these things. It's like, but it's a reason why this happened. It's fear. It's a lot of generational trauma. It's a lot of these things that are happening with throughout this country, not just in urban areas, but in rural areas that people have not dealt with. And we haven't dealt with them in every country. And so when things, we're trying to get things back on track, we're going to have to deal with these things. And I'm all for, you know, no matter who it is, no matter what racial, ethnic group is, if you need some help, let's get the people to help, you know, and then worry about judgments a little bit later. Let's get everybody out of the hole first. And then we can worry about whose fault was it is that they were in the hole. You know what I mean? That, that's my way of it. Yeah, it's funny. It's the older thing. The one thing I always wanted to make sure that the older I got is like, I felt a little more open-minded with things. I don't want to be the person that starts getting closed-minded the older I get because then there was a saying because there was, someone says, sometimes you shouldn't be surprised when an Andy Taylor doesn't turn into Ben Matlock. When somebody who fought for, <laughs> who used to fight for the good when they were younger, all of a sudden older, doesn't do the same. Don't be surprised. Yeah. I guess maybe it's because people, especially you see that with a lot of people who grew up in uh, 50s and 60s and 70s. They were that young, idealistic, do-gooder, and then all of a sudden they get older and it's like... I call it the Atticus Fitch syndrome. Because, you know, in The Killick Mockerbird, he was this civil rights attorney, but then in the book that came up after her death... Go tell uh, Hoffman. He's this almost KKK member, <laughs> you know? It was like, how do these two things happen, you know? He's gotten older, but I don't think that book is canon anyway. But, I mean, you know. what did Commissioner Gordon say in Dark Knight? It's like, you know, sometimes you stay around too long as a hero and you become the villain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something so, like that. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just, it can happen. And I think if any good will come out of this pandemic, I see so, so many people from different walks of life banding together and helping people. And it was like, People need help, no matter who they voted for, who they didn't vote for, who they support. People, we all Americans, we're all human beings. Let's help each other. Then, once we get back and once we conquer this thing, then if you want to point fingers, then we'll point fingers. But let's do it after everybody's, everybody's good, you know? So I see the goodness of people that, that's happening a lot. You know, you see some some of the crazies I have, but I see a lot of the, the more of the goodness that, that, that's happening. And I like that. Uh, we got a comment asking, what thing can you say to the senior high school graduate of 2020? I assume it's going to get better. I mean, that's the best uh, thing you can say. I would say. I was going to say that, especially in this situation, honestly, the pomp and circumstance of walking across the stage, it's its great for the symbolism. But honestly, the, the diploma still comes in the mail. Well, you know, just remember that when you're 17, 18, you're graduating. Remember, that is not the pinnacle of your life. Other things are going to happen, good things, bad things. You think you're smart, you don't know nothing. You know, you just keep yourself open up. And I think, say this for everybody, no matter what you think your political, religious ideology is, it doesn't matter. Keep yourself open. I like hearing everybody's viewpoints, even if I don't agree with them. I'm like, okay, I see why that makes sense to you. Realize, just because of the people you grew up with, thought one way, there's people a hundred miles away from you who think a different way. Just keep your mind open. I think that's the that's the thing. And once you make your decision what you want to be, you want to be a libertarian, you want to be a liberal or a conservative, remember there's other people who don't think like you. And always remember that, you know, you still have to live with these people, you know? Yeah, and I always think like this, and maybe I see it, in, especially when you think of maybe college sports and high school sports and maybe even the pros, is it the fact that 
progressively get better or stronger in a thing or is it because the quality of who we face our opponents have dropped off because think about it you're playing against a senior senior laden team as a junior and mm. then all of a sudden the next year is a bunch of freshmen you're playing against mm. as a senior is it mm. that we keep getting better or is it just things drop off and then we feel like we're getting better hmm i think it's probably both and i, I think you know <sighs> Taking that and putting it inside you and realizing how life is, you know, you always think, I mean, maybe there's a cutoff, but even though I, I think I'm still relatively a young man, I still have this invincibility about me, you know, that I think that even though I'm a father, I can do anything. Maybe there's a drop off when that happens, when it's going to be where, like, I'm going to look at reality in the face like, okay, this is what it is, and I'm not the baddest thing on the block even though it's in the back of my mind. And I think that, like you were saying, it's kind of twofold. You know, it's about growth, it's about learning new things, but it's also about, you know, being comfortable in your own skin. And uh, I think, for me, I'm learning that a lot. Yeah, I also, yeah, I forgot the peaks and declines that starts getting to, like, mathematics and, and like, sabermetrics type stuff. Like, oh, you're great, mm -hmm. you hit your peak, and boom, you know. Like, we can yeah, always say this. It's Boxer. It's like in boxing. Like I said, Mike Tyson was the baddest man on the planet till he wasn't. Until he wasn't. And, yeah. and same with Ali. Same with Foreman. Same with everybody. You're the baddest until you aren't anymore. And then either you keep trying to struggle to find that, uh, to reclaim that, or, you know, or it's just all downhill from there, which, again, sounds like a very cynical uh, thought. And, you know, and like we were talking about earlier, and I think, you know, this interview came at a great time with everybody. A lot of people are focused on that Bulls documentary. Think about it. They were at the peak of their powers, and they had Jerry Krause trying to break them up. They were the best until suddenly they weren't. It was a huge drop-off. I mean, never again have the Bulls ascended to such a height, you know? They were at the cusp of greatness, and then they fell off. You know, and if you were talking about teams, team-wise or individual-wise, you know, Michael Jordan was never as good as he was that last year. He came back, but he was never as good as he was, you know? And the good thing, I guess, as a result of that, we didn't end up having to see the decline. We didn't have to see, like, what happened That's with the, the Garnet exactly. Celtics and all them, yeah. where they all of a sudden were just barely making it to the playoffs before they just shipped everybody off to Jersey. They're the New Jersey Nets to me. I don't care if they're Brooklyn or not. They're the New Jersey Nets to me. But, <laughs> yeah, it, you saw that. We didn't have, you know, like, even those 70s bullets, the teams that went to the finals twice, they mm. fell off, too. They mm. all fell. Everybody falls off unless you blow everything up where you don't get to see that decline. And, and you know, because who knows the lockout, too. So maybe they could have got another run together. The lockout. You never know. But then again, we could have seen what would have happened. Either the Bulls get knocked out by the Knicks or the Spurs tarnish the Bulls legacy. Who knows? You never mm. know what happened because, you know, just younger and better. I, I always talk about this. I wish we got to see a on the Rockets against the Bulls. I would have loved to see that. Yeah. <laughs> My father and I were talking about that the other day because I think those Rockets championships are tainted. They're tainted. Those were when Jordan was uh, kicked out of the league, pretty much. And I think he was kicked out of the league because of gambling. David Stern told him to take two years off. But those championships are tainted in my eyes. The Rockets did what they're supposed to do. They, they won them. But why couldn't you do it after, you know? Did Barkley come after that team right after uh, Jordan came back? Yeah, I think so. Because didn't Clyde retire after the second title? I think he, yeah. or he was he was on his decline, and then Barkley got there. And then Drexler uh, retired after the Bulls' first uh, the the seventy two win season. I think. No, yeah, yeah, I so, think so. You know, 
But it, it would have been good to see those teams play. They might have been actually the legit threat because no one could stop Olajuwon. There was no one that could stop Olajuwon. I always think about that time he dream shook David Robinson. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, feel, you feel bad for David Robinson. He would have ate Longley and Wennington and all those guys alive because... There man. has not been another center like Olajuwon. Just like the center has lost his meaning in the NBA. And I, I was looking at something with the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No one does the skyhook. You know, no one's skilled enough to do a skyhook anymore. It's like everybody wants to play this small ball, and it's the center is a, is a forgotten position. Yeah, I feel like Embiid might be the closest who could probably do that because I see him dream shaking people a couple times. I've seen him. Yeah. I've seen him. I was like, I think one game against the Lakers, I saw him dream shake them, and the ball just kept bouncing, bouncing, and then went in. It's like. That's all I can see up here. All I see is Sixer stuff up here, so that's pretty much all I got. I can't even get the Wizards because I'm in that weird zone where there's no Baltimore team. So it's like I get NBC Washington and I get NBC Philly. Uh, I can't even – and like I said, even if like where my broadcasting stuff is, mm-hmm. some like the Philadelphia stations that are AFC stations that you get the Ravens. Ravens, that's my team. I've given up – not given up on the Cowboys, but I've uh, – yeah. <laughs> I know we're not talking with the Cowboys, but the dumbest thing they'll do if they resign Dak Prescott is the dumbest thing they'll do. Dumbest thing. I mean, especially he's turning out all that money already. I mean. He turned it down. I wish I was a GM. I would pick up Cam for a cheap contract and then draft me a quarterback next year. Prescott, how many times he took to the Cowboys in the playoffs? Once? What do you want, $125 million? I thought he turned down something ridiculous. Uh, $33 million a year. Mm-mm, uh, you're not getting paid what Brady got paid and, and, and not put up Brady results, regardless of what you think of Brady <laughs> well, or, or Russell we'll Wilson Brady, results. I, I think I got visions of Steve Young, Aeneas Williams with Brady this uh, when it comes coming up. They hit the end of Steve Young's career, Aeneas Williams blitzing off the blind side. Are you here? Are you seeing Steve Young's body just get crushed? Uh, you know, <laughs> I was going to ask you this. As a Cowboys fan, who was to you, who was the the permanent rival? Was it the Niners? Was it Green Bay? Was it? It had to be, had to be the Niners. The Niners, the 92 and 93. They got us once in the championship. We came back and got them again. The Redskins have never been a rival. In, in, in my years, the Redskins have never been a rival. I mean, there's some entertaining been, games, been though. Some good games. And there's some games that make me throw the stuff at the TV. Like that, that, um. Is that the Santana bit? Moss game Santana with Brunel? <laughs> with Mark Brunel, I'm thinking, oh, there's a Colt McCoy game where he beat him in Dallas because yeah, uh, the D'Angelo yeah. Hall fumble. Um, I know there's a Thanksgiving game come nine out of ten times. The Thanksgiving game when it's Dallas, Washington, it's always Dallas because, uh. Except the Griffin years. The Griffin beat, beat the Cowboys in Dallas. That year, his, his rookie year. Uh, but other than that, it's probably been more of a lopsided Cowboys. I tell you, man, um, not even the Eagles were a rival. I mean, it's like, it's weird because the Eagles were running off those division titles, but. But that's what the, during the Cowboys down year. That's before Romo even, you know. Because, you know, so weird. I was looking back at, you know, in while you were in the middle of it, their run, the Eagles run, you thought Donovan McNabb was a Hall of Famer. Now you're looking back. Yeah, until he opens his he, mouth, huh? Until every time until he opens his mouth. Yeah, he was good. He wasn't great. He wasn't great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, like I said, he's still not Randall. Good. McNabb was no. not Randall. Randall was a bad man before he got hurt. Indeed, um, indeed. Uh, yeah. and, and you know what? Then when you see a backup win the Super, you know it's funny. I talked to a lot of Philadelphia sports fans, and uh, it's like when Andy Reid was in the Super Bowl and all this time they were reveling when every time Andy Reid failed. <laughs> It was like like a man who married the hottest woman in the world and sees his ex and still hopes bad things happen to her. 
It's, <laughs> that's how it was with Philadelphia sports fans. There were some Philadelphia sports fans. Oh my goodness. And then when this Super Bowl came, it felt like that meme you see of the guy sweating and trying to figure out what button he needs to push. <laughs> like, no, Niners win? Andy Reid win? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's crazy. That's why it's like... I used to joke when I first got up here, I'm like, man, I told you this, man, you you want to find fans more delusional than Redskins fans? <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles fans. <laughs> oh, eh, it's weird. I'll get into the NFL games when Washington plays and when the Redskins play, and it's like, but, you know, like I said, you give me an Orioles game, I'm sitting there watching it from beginning to end, and I know. I, I, I can't feel that, man. I just, baseball to me is just so. Now, I've made a vow to myself. I won't watch another baseball game until the Houston Championship is uh, taken away from them. They have no cheaters. I mean, even then, even though you said the Nats, they prevailed. Because, uh, I mean, I remember watching that game against the Dodgers where Howie Kendrick hit that home run and, and turned that comeback around for the Nats. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, they might do it. They might break the curse of Dusty. because <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the curse of Dusty. Uh, think about this. <laughs> At one point last season, the Nats had the same record as the Orioles, and the Orioles were awful. Mm-hmm. The Orioles were awful. They were bad, awful. And the Nats were, just, were maybe a game better than the Orioles. And then, <laughs> and then they all of a sudden uh, turn around. I mean, I'm not anti-Nats. It's like, to me, it's like, how how you see the the Redskins and Nats are no uh, the, to me the Nats are no enemy they're no adversary but then when you see people in orange come up and fill out your stadium <laughs> sometimes you can't fill seats out and people in Baltimore can't fill out the seats but they end up filling up DC <laughs> oh my gosh and it's funny when you look at them they're like dead even in the series it's like they are like fifty fifty between all those games between Washington and Baltimore since twenty I think. Because the Nats moved in, what, 20, 2005? Yeah. They didn't play right each other until right 06 because they still yeah. had them playing the Blue Jays uh, instead uh, mm. instead of the Orioles. So, yeah, it's since then, give or take one or two games, they're even. They're, like, dead even against each other. Mm. Yeah, which is it, it's crazy because my cousin is a diehard Nats fan who lives in Baltimore. As we wrap this up, what are ways that people can reach out to you on social media and things like that? I know you have a Twitter, but you don't use it much anymore unless you're going to start getting on. The, <laughs> I, I don't really cool. use it, but I'm on there more because especially with, uh, you know, I'm like, yo, listen, I'll see a few viewpoints on things. But my Twitter is Lang's Ambition, at Lang's Ambition. Um, I'm on Facebook all the time. I just joined Instagram about a couple months ago. So I'm on that too. That's on length, length ambition too. Um, I'm going to start a little bit more media presence because I, uh, you know, I'm doing some things. I'm finishing up, uh, a couple of novels, you know, I'm writing two or three at the same time. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to push this stuff out, like, you know, trying to get myself more out there. Um, but, uh, that's what I'm doing. You know, and it comes to writing books, I'm like, honestly, we look at this now. When you see the Fifty Shades of Grey and the Da Vinci Code and stuff like that, get out there. Anybody can, again, it goes back to the TV executive thing. Anybody can apparently can write a book if you got a, if you got enough hype and you find an audience that, that'll find it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm not against the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, but it's just like, honestly, it's bad, bad Twilight fan fiction, apparently. That's, it, that's what it, it came Indeed from. it was. Started off as Twilight I saw a photo, a picture of the Vinci Co sitting near the dumpster in my apartment complex. I'm like, that would have been a photo to take. I'm like, you know, what? <laughs> I know how Matt feels about the Da Vinci Code. Um, indeed, indeed. Yeah, you know, 
you know, when it comes to writing books, it takes all kinds. I, I, you know, that's a lot of work. Oh, speaking of that, how much work has went into writing a book as we, like I said, start to wrap this up? Oh, man, I've been, there's one book I've been writing since, wow, probably since 2003. Mm-hmm. The story started in 2003. Um, and back at UMS, and I, I've still been just tinkering with it. You think sitting down and typing a bunch of things is the easiest thing in the world? It's like, no, it's like, writing with your blood it's it's sometimes it's the hardest thing and you got to teach it got to make sure that you have some discipline to do it every day so you can continue to do it and that's been my problem because life gets in the way you know everything especially the last couple years lord jesus but uh it's a fulfilling thing to do it really is when you said lord jesus i think of the time i told you that umes got doubled up by west virginia by 70 points (laughs) (laughs) it was it was uh lord jesus and that was like yep that pretty much uh symbolizes uh um pretty much umes basketball at a point but indeed since then they've had one winning season and you know one winning season good yeah yeah (laughs) and yeah, and a tournament appearance, even though it's like the low scale, it was below the well, NIT with the when CIT. We get, we get Steve on here, you and I, we can talk about that game that all three of us win. I think that's the only game I went to my whole year. Was it homecoming? I think it was homecoming. Me, so. you, and Steve went. And, <laughs> do you remember it? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was me and Steve senior year. Okay, so yeah, funny they had lost a lot of games in a row <laughs> on homecoming until like a couple I covered they won in a, in a row on on homecoming, and mm-hmm. it's just crazy because homecoming is a time for them to win. That's Mm-mm. yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm yeah. just hoping them to pick up more local kids because what else you're gonna lose? You might as well bring in people locally if you're not gonna be able to pick the creme of the creme in the state of Maryland. You might as well pick some in the backyard so people will go to. I know the yeah, high school makes, coaches have been. The high school coaches have been petitioning. You need somebody who will come and look at some of these kids. There was a kid that went to Snow Hill, could jump out of the gym, had a te- had a floater, teardrop, everything. In the state semifinal, when basically his teammate, who was the other number two on the team, had a, a struggle game from three-point range. And I don't know if that's because maybe because the depth perception once playing a high school gym and playing at College Park. But, man, he had all but like five or six points, and they lost by two. Mm. because people can't hit free throws. But that's a different story. <laughs> High schoolers not hitting free throws. That's a whole different story for a different time. Indeed, indeed. Mm. But, man, I really appreciate it. We got to do this again. It was fun, man. It was really fun. I, I told you, <laughs> once we finally got this interview going, it would be great. I think it was well worth the wait to be able to finally catch up with Matt. Next time, we'll be sisters Nicole and Veronica Day. Some topics of discussions include being women of color who are baseball fans, the dearth and decline of black baseball players, and their interaction with players of their favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles. New episodes are available each week on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else podcasts are heard. You can also go to the Sports Refuge website for a complete archive of episodes. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.